339. Christ receiveth sinful men. Amen. 339. Sinners, Jesus will receive sound his word of grace to all who the heavenly pathway leave, all who linger, all who fall. Sing it o'er and o'er again. Christ
one more song, 256, 256, I will praise him, 256. Father, we just ask you to take this service, be honored and glorified in it, guide and direct us through each part. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just wanted to say thank you for all those that prayed for a safe trip. Uh, I don't think I've ever encountered so many crazy drivers in one trip, and it wasn't me or Jason. And so uh, it was, uh, uh, we, we could see God's hand protecting us the whole way through and got in about, uh, I think it was about 1.30 this afternoon. So uh, all the, the truck is unloaded and all the boxes are in the apartment and what they do with them, that's their business. Amen. So you pray for Peter and Jason as they're working and pray. Uh, tomorrow morning, uh, the plumber's helper is supposed to be here and he's the one that's going to be sketching out the whole job and figuring out what we're doing where when and all this and so uh, pray that he comes when he says and that he'll have the permit in his hand and uh, then we can actually get started on this thing and see if we can't see this finished in the next few weeks because the actual work probably will take two to three days 
but then we have to get a plumbing inspector from the building department out here and we have to get all the paperwork and all those things. So just uh, continue to pray uh, that the Lord will bring us through this time. And uh, if you're wondering what all the junk is in the side section, we've had to revert uh, back and because when we open up, when we make the plumbing connections, we've got to rip the walls and the ceiling out of my office. And so uh, just pray that uh, we can get this work done in short order and uh, get moving with the other things that are going. Uh, I want you to keep Brother Ferran in prayer. He's got another health problem, very serious, that's come up. And uh, we don't really have any details, but just want you to pray for Pray for the Ferran family, if you would, and as soon as we know something, we will definitely let you know. All right. Uh, Brother Franz, come lead us in that last hymn, then we'll get into our Bible study tonight. All right, let's stand and turn to 645, 645, satisfied, 645. and turn to Revelation chapter 1 and if you need a copy of the outline I'm not quite sure who has those I think Peter does right uh, did you get the outlines off the printer oh, okay uh, pray for him as he recovers from Bible college uh, it takes a few weeks and uh, get the tired out of your system but uh, uh, and uh, also I forgot to mention before keep brother Nielsen in prayer they're treating him now for pneumonia um, he has had a, something and actually Peter went over and preached his nursing home for him this afternoon while we were unloading the trucks. So keep Brother uh, Ray Nielsen in prayer if you would. Let's start Revelation chapter 1 verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. 
and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so. Amen. I am Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Now, these first eight verses we've uh, set aside as the salutation. And really, I want to start tonight with the note that it's at, at the very bottom of your page here. The thing that we must face if we're going to read the book of Revelation, the thing that we've got to get out of our minds and out of our uh, thought process here is this book is about God, nothing else. It's about God's person. It's about his presence. Yes, there's lots of horrible things that happen in the book of Revelation, and we get all wound up about the mountain of fire that falls upon a third of the fresh water and destroys the fresh water and, and uh, a third of the ships are burned up and a, a third of the sea is turned to blood and, and all of these things trying to figure out. But let's just stop and go back. Where does the power for all of those things come from? Is God just allowing cosmic laws to come into practice to bring these things? Even Esther, she says, no, no, no. I know enough that it's not that. She's over sitting there, and that's a good thing. She understands. God is not using natural process. He is using his divine power to bring these great things into being, to pass. He's prophesying that these things will happen And we have guys trying to figure out how the locusts that come out of the pit are Apache attack helicopters. And uh, now, those helicopters do an awful lot. But everything that comes out of that helicopter that does something bad comes out of the front, not the back. Uh, The only thing that's in the back of that helicopter is the rotor fin that keeps it stationary and heading in the right direction. So... um, The locusts are not attack helicopters. I can promise you that. And uh, I'll I'll tell you one of the things that uh, just boiled my blood. Uh, I was reading a a commentary here on verse 8, and it tried to, the commentator is trying to explain the Bible here, and he says that John was copying occultic literature by using this terminology, talking about God. Now, if it would have done any good, it's a good thing it's an electronic book. You can't spit on your computer screen without hurting your computer. Uh, but I'll, I'll tell you, that, that that is a comment that is blasphemous, that is ignorant, 
And what it does is it tries to paint a picture of God's receptor for his revelation as going out to demonic-based literature and trying to find out about God. Now, let me tell you something, and, and this is something to beware, and I know I'm just chasing a rabbit trail. Be patient with me tonight. We'll get back to our text here in a moment. But this is what many so-called preachers are doing today is they run out of things they read over the text and it doesn't make any sense because there's no Holy Spirit of God living inside them without the Holy Spirit of God illuminating this text what does the Bible become it becomes nothing but a puzzle it becomes something that will, the Bible says, which they wrestle to their own destruction. And so they begin to look in all different places and try to find these things. And more often than not, the case is that the occultic people are copying the scripture, not the other way around. Almost always... But the perverted, unsaved mind always looks to the world first. Now, what we've just touched on is what's happening in Christianity today. That's why I don't subscribe to the magazine, amen? Uh, is because they look to the world first. We do not need to look to the world first. We need to look to the Savior first. We need to know more about our Savior. When is the last time, if we can, and this is basically where we left off last Thursday night. When was the last time in your scripture reading, in your understanding of the Bible, in your time alone with God, that you allowed yourself enough time and enough effort in the scriptures to be overwhelmed. We're not just talking about some emotional whoo that happens. We're, we're talking about a sensory perception overload. You're reading the words. You hear the message that is in them. The Holy Spirit of God is witnessing with your spirit and you understand just a little bit of the greatness of God. Let me tell you, that will thrill your soul. But it doesn't happen if you, well, preacher gave us that Bible reading schedule. I'm, I'm a couple days behind. I'm going to have to catch up. I'll, I'll read a little faster today. You're not going to meet the Savior that way. You're not going to meet the Savior by missing out on the things that he has for you. That's why you need to be in church on Thursday night, even in the summertime. Amen? That's why you need to be here Sunday morning and Sunday night. That's why you need to read your Bible on your own and pray. Because what we're going to see in this first chapter is John is going to be literally, uh, uh, I don't know, the phrase they used is shocked out of his socks, okay? 
I mean, he is just going to be completely overwhelmed with the presence of God. I'll tell you, that is something that we need. In verse 17, it says he fell at his feet as dead. Now, we're not looking for phenomena. My wife and I were discussing this just the other day. It's a little frustrating sometimes hearing people talk about revival. They want revival. They want revival. Yes, we want revival. But let me tell you something. Most of the people who sit around talking about revival are not talking about revival. They're talking about the attending phenomena of revival. Yes, I would like to see a hundred people get saved. That would be wonderful. That would be incredible. But you know what? I'd, I'd like to see one person get saved. It's been a little while. You say, well, you're just setting your goals too low. Well, let's get the one first before we worry about the other 999. Amen? Because most of these people who are sitting around talking about revival, 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 aren't going out and telling anybody about Jesus because they're too busy trying to get revival. You go out and tell somebody about Jesus and bring him to church with you. Let me tell you, you're going to have revival. It's going to happen in your heart. You can't escape it. Because all of a sudden you're going to wake up just a little bit and realize the creator God of heaven used you to touch someone else's life. Now, if that's not exciting, if that doesn't bless your blesser, your, your blesser's done busted, amen. Uh, it needs to get fixed. And that's what this passage is about. The charge is, listen, you read these words, you hear them, and you keep them. That's where the blessings are. But the words are all about Jesus. Now, we got through grace be unto you in peace last week. And uh, I know Brother Franz says that I spend a lot of time on just one verse. We're going to try to get the whole way to verse 8 tonight. So fasten your seatbelts, all right? Uh, we're really going to cook. But what we're doing here is this grace and peace come from him, which is and which was, and which is to come. Now again, last week we basically went over that. This is John's way in the book of Revelation of saying, I am that I am. There's the connection. In the beginning, God already is. He is present. And when tomorrow gets here, he'll still be is. And when it's all said and done and time is no more, he'll still be is. That's where grace and that's where peace come from. And we spend a little bit of time and we will touch on this and, and I don't want to 
just skip over it now, but we are going to come back to this theme here of the seven spirits which are before the throne. And just simply, uh, if you'll let me just touch on that and leave it here, is that that word seven, the number seven, has a significant, it has the idea of completeness. This is the fullness of the presence of God. It's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. But he is represented here as the seven spirits. And then, last but not least, as the Trinity is mentioned, and from Jesus Christ. Now, this is whom the book is about. It is his revelation. Jesus Christ is revealing himself. Now, you have to understand the author is John. John said, I bear record of his life. John walked with him for three and a half years. John was the one that leaned on his chest at the, uh, at the Last Supper He did not recline on the pillows as everyone else did. John reclined on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, just imagine that. And yet John is about to be completely overwhelmed. He's going to turn around in just a few moments. He's going to see the voice that was speaking, and when he does... He's going to fall at his feet as a dead man. He is going to be overwhelmed. Now, don't go home and pray, Dear God, help me to fall at your feet as a dead man. Okay? Uh, That's, again, chasing the attending phenomena. How about, Lord, let me see enough of your greatness to know that I've seen something I haven't seen before. Do you think that'd be a good place to start? Let me see enough of who you are. Because when we get to heaven, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be around the throne, amen? Amen. We're not going to be going. I don't plan on spending much time in my mansion. Because I want to be involved in what's going on around the throne. Amen. When we get to chapters 4 and 5, God is literally going to peel back the curtain that separates us from heaven. And let us take just a glimpse in there. It's all about God. It's not about your thought processes. In fact, if you want to know the whole problem with Harold Camping and all of his machinations, and he comes out and says, oh, I figured wrong. Well, what is the center of everything he's doing, my friend? Oh, it's what's going on up here. It's his thought processes. You see, without someone as smart Now, uh, make sure, let's quote this. This is sarcasm, okay? Uh, Someone as smart and as spiritually gifted and as insightful as Harold Camping, to see and to figure this thing out, we remain ignorant. That's what Mr. Camping says when he says, I miscalculated. 
you ought to be insulted. You think you're the only man in the world that's smart enough to figure this thing out? I have one bit of advice. Check your medications. And if you don't have one of those special doctors that give you those special medications, go find one. You need them. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And what he wants you to know is written right here. He is the faithful witness. Now, I wish we had time to check all of the references in the Bible that deal with Jesus being the faithful witness. But we would probably be here for several weeks only on one phrase. And we can't do that because we'd never get through the book of Revelation. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. And we're just going to chase through John chapter 8. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees here. And the key, I mean the, the point of this conversation is Jesus witnessing to mankind, Jesus revealing to man what God has for him. And we come down here. To verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now here's what Jesus was saying to them. He was saying, you've got to continue in my word, you've got to do the things that I teach, you've got to live under my authority, under my disciplines, the word disciple, it says, then you will truly be my disciple once you do the things that I have taught you, and then you will know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, Jesus is not talking about salvation particularly in this passage. Because salvation is not progressive. Salvation is an event. But what he was trying to explain to these Pharisees and these religious leaders, see, they already believed on him. Look at verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, they claimed to believe in Jesus. But they weren't free yet because they hadn't gotten rid of all their tradition and all of their trappings and all of their thought processes it was still a religion that was about them and not to beat a dead horse this is the reason why I constantly criticize the purpose driven life because the purpose of the purpose driven life if you will read the book thoroughly and carefully, is for you to realize and find your desires in your relationship with God. That's blasphemous. That's the scripture turned inside out. It is not about you finding out what is in you. It's you finding out what is in Jesus. But 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you have fought the battle against self? And every time you think you got it whipped, you find yourself laying flat on your back looking up. Why? Because you don't have enough truth and you don't have the victory over the flesh yet. This is what Jesus is talking about. And they're going to bring it back around to salvation because they can't understand the whole problem here. But let's move on here down to verse 40. It says, But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Jesus is comparing himself to Abraham here. And he says, Listen, I am telling you the truth that I have learned of God. Abraham didn't do that. But I'm doing that. And now let's skip on down to verse 54 here. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. How did they not comprehend what he was saying? How plain is that verse? Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Now Jesus is witnessing to these men the truth. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was having a good time in John chapter 8? Boy, I told him. Man, I gave it to him. They were so confused they didn't even know how to spell their own name when I was done with them. Uh, that's not the Jesus of the scripture. But I have met a few preachers like that. And, but the grace of God, that's where I would be. Because it's so easy to win an argument. But Jesus was not the winner of the argument. He was the faithful witness. But it takes time to peel back the layers of deception and self-deception and wrong teaching until you can know the truth and the truth will make you free. Amen? I don't want to confuse it by bringing this in, but I'm going to bring it in just quickly. In, John, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Everybody remember that? This is what that's talking about. Because as a person surrenders to the word of God, what happens? They get set free, they get loosed. As a person says, well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't like the way Pastor Montoro says it, so I'm not going to do it. You know what happens? You get bound. There are people that are going to be in heaven that are going to be all bound up. I am so glad God did not give me the knowledge of who truly is saved and who isn't. Amen? I'm glad that he kept that to himself. 
But this whole idea of binding and loosing, go to Matthew chapter 18. He says, if your brother doesn't hear you, tell it to the church. And if he doesn't hear the church, count him as a heathen and publican whatsoever ye, plural, shall bind. It's something that happens as the church teaches the truth. Amen. Jesus is the faithful witness. Maybe we should just spend the rest of the night on that. Amen. He was telling these Pharisees, listen, I am telling you what I learned by being with my father. And he said, you are doing what you've learned by being with your father. And they started accusing Jesus of all kinds of things in verse 44. He says, you're of your father the devil. Here's how, you, here's how he knew that. They were taking time on the Sabbath to gather together and have a conference, which they did on many occasions, on how to put Jesus to death. And yet they were criticizing him for breaking the Sabbath by healing someone. Do you see the difference between those two? They accused him of breaking the Sabbath by giving life. And they were so angry that he broke the Sabbath as far as they were concerned that they got together and counseled on how to murder him. I think there's a commandment that says something about thou shalt not uh, kill. I mean... Isn't it interesting that as Jesus Christ is introduced to us in the book of Revelation, he is first called the faithful witness. He is giving his life, gave to you and I, God's testimony. You ever heard anybody say, well, if I could just hear God speaking, it would be okay. I'd believe. Anybody run into somebody like that? I always take them to Second Peter chapter 1. We have a more sure word of prophecy. Amen. Jesus' life, his life is recorded in the scriptures. Every act that he did was a faithful witness about who God is and what he wants to do. Why did he throw the money changers out of the temple? Because he's faithful. Amen. Why did he rail on these Pharisees so hard? It wasn't because he enjoyed it. He was not an argumentative person. He wasn't something that just someone that just went looking for a fight. He was being faithful in witnessing even to them. How many of you remember the story of the rich young ruler? And he said, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And it says he went away sorrowful, for he had great riches. Now paint the picture in your mind. Here he is, this rich young ruler, 
knows that he's not going to heaven because he knows he cannot turn loose of what he has in his hand and follow that man. And as he turns around dejected and walks away knowing that he has chosen an eternity apart from God, we hear Jesus saying, How hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Jesus wasn't rubbing salt in the wound. He was giving him one last chance. What did he say? But with God, all things are possible. I wonder if those are the words that rung in the rich young ruler's ears as he went his way to a godless eternity. You see, within us does not exist anything God wants to use. That's why it's called being born again. That's why Jesus is the faithful witness. Amen? He is the first begotten from the dead. Sunday morning, because I live, ye shall live also. Amen? Uh, we could... We could spend the whole night on, on that, could we not? He walked through death's door to show us it can be done. You know, every religion in the world, they all have this kind of hope so thing. I spent one time several years back, it was about six months with a Buddhist priest, and he said, I, I just want to learn what the Bible teaches and the saddest part of all, when he was done, he says, well, I understand what salvation is. And he explained it to me better than most Christians can. But he didn't believe it. And I said, but what do you base your faith in Buddha upon? I base my faith in Jesus upon his testimony, upon this book called the Bible. What do you base your faith on? How do you know that you're going to have 10,000 lives and eventually you will become a Buddha? By the way, most of us work very hard at not being Buddhists. We don't want to be bald and we don't want to be fat. Amen? Sorry. That's what happens when you're tired. But um, the simple truth of the matter is it's all based on a bunch of hearsay. One of the miracles of Buddhism was, and he explained this to me, he said, you see, a man was starving. He had no food. And the fish in the river knew that the men were hungry, and so they jumped out of the river so that the men could catch them and eat them. Oh, man, I'd like to find that river when I'm trout fishing. How about you? I said, there's only one problem. I said, there's nothing at all in history in any other literature that, that gives any credence to anything you're telling me. And he told me several such stories. That was one of the more believable ones. Uh, 
though we weren't anywhere close to anything believable. And I'm not trying to just make fun. What I'm saying here is we have the history of Jesus is recorded in our Bible by four different men inspired by the Holy Ghost. We have the testimony of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that he truly died and that he truly rose again. Can I tell you that gives me a rock-solid hope that when it comes time for me to walk through that veil, that I'm coming out the other side alive because Jesus is already there. Hebrews chapter 6, he's our forerunner. Amen. He's already in the harbor. He's already gone before us. We're just following in his footsteps. And this last one here, let's go back to Revelation here. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Now, this is the one that excites me more than anything right now. And the princes of the kings of the earth. I'll tell you what, I don't know of a time in history when we can document the ignorance and stupidity of world leaders as we are doing today. Would you agree with me on that statement? I mean, just look at all of the dumb people who are in charge all throughout this world. I mean, not to bring up Think, but this International Monetary Fund, this guy that was over here who's now in jail, I hope, and I pray they keep him there and all this, he exercises dominion over the governments of this world with his pen. And yet, he is so foolish that he is arrested and confined for something that a man of his authority, and when it was all said and done, what did his wife say? Oh, he's a very seductive man. Maybe we ought to put her in jail too. I don't know. But what I'm saying here is I am... There are times when I read the newspaper and listen that I am just, my heart is broken. I am just discouraged. I want to go run away and cry. But as Ronald Reagan said so wonderfully, he said, if we fail here, there's no place for anybody else to go. America is the last best hope for this world. And we are watching the destruction of our nation. Oh, wait a minute. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Obama is not in charge. Akmu Adina, I'm in a jihad or whatever his name is. He is not in charge. 
says, yes, Pastor, I agree with you. It's the guys in the dark, smoke-filled rooms that pull the strings. Uh, let me tell you something. They are not in charge because he is the prince of the kings of the earth. And the stage is being set for the cataclysmic events that are described in this book and in Daniel's prophecy and in many of the Old Testament. What is in this book is going to happen, my friend. But he is the prince of the kings of this earth. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stop worrying. Well, I'm going to try to stop worrying. about what these little lieutenants and sergeants are doing. I'm going to spend my time with the prince of the kings of the earth. I don't know about you, but that encouraged my heart. And I, I needed some encouraging. I get so weary of just hearing all the dumb things that go on in the world. But you know what? It says every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. Some are going to do it willingly. Others are going to do it under duress. But every tongue is going to frame those words. And I want to go back to where we started. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. We need to start spending some time. And I want you to pray with me about this because this is important. This is something we need to do as a church. This is something we need to do as individuals. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to pray. I want You must do those things. I want you to be in church, not just because... I don't like preaching to empty seats. That's not the point. It's because we're supposed to be in church because this book says so. Amen. We're supposed to be together in Jesus' name. But let me tell you something. Uh, it, the Lord has just convicted me personally that I don't spend enough time in trying to understand the greatness of my God. We need to praise him for who he is. Amen. Amen. But that praise needs to be metered or mixed with our thanksgiving for what he is doing in our lives presently. If God is not doing anything, maybe it's because you're not connected. And this is one of the problems with the praise and worship of our day. It's all clap your hands and how good Jesus is, but there's nothing going on. We need to make that connection and understand that even when things look like nothing is happening, wait a minute, he's still the prince of the kings of this world. I mean, when I go to the building department, I was given good advice many years ago and I still follow it. Don't waste your time with the people that can't help you. Start at the top. You can always work your way down, but once you start at the bottom, you can't go up. Why can't we start at the top? He is the faithful witness. 
the first begotten of the dead and the princes and the prince of the kings of the earth spend your time with Jesus amen but there's a personal connection there and we'll finish with this unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. How many people go through life and the only thing they say they're looking for is love and they can't find it? Why don't you start with the prince who loved you enough to wash you from your own sins in his own blood? See, the reason we have problems with self-esteem is because we reject what the prince has done to show us his love, and we have to go find it somewhere else. But if you have the love of the prince of the kings of this world, guess what? I don't need the approval of the local ministerial assassination. Amen? I don't need somebody else looking at me and saying, okay, I, I appreciate what you're doing now. I'll tell you what, I enjoyed the 25th anniversary there. I, I really enjoyed that. That was wonderful. But you, that's not why I was serving the Lord. And that's not why we're going to keep serving the Lord. Amen? But let's understand that it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved us. He's washed us in his own blood. And what's the next thing say? And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We got three minutes. I think we can finish verse six here. We could, again, we could spend an entire night on each phrase if we wanted to. But God saved us for a purpose. The destiny of the child of God is to serve God the Father as a king and as a priest. And that theme is going to be reported several different times through this book of Revelation. And it is mentioned by the prophets that God wants his people to serve him. If you remember the history of Israel, God wanted the firstborn of every family to be the priest of that family. But because of sin at the foot of Mount Sinai and different things that went on, he said, I'm going to take the Levites instead of the firstborn. They'll be my servants. And the sons of Aaron will be my priests instead of the head of every family. We've, I've preached much about this and, pray, uh, pray and, and hope to continue doing so. We make a big deal about the priesthood of the believer, that every believer has direct access to God. He has given us authority he has given us a connection to God. And what do you do 
when you meet somebody that has connections. We call it networking, don't we? Would you mind putting a good word in for me over here that I could get that job? Is there anything wrong with that? No. As long as there's no graft or kickbacks or all of that kind of stuff, there, there's, it's perfectly a good thing. Well, how about we understand our connection to Jesus Christ? And that he wants to use those connections to put us in a position of service directly responsible to the prince of the kings of this earth. I don't want to waste my effort getting depressed on what new dumb thing they've invented in Washington, D.C. Just the time you think they have redefined dumbness. They write an entire new thesis on how to lower the levels. And I'll tell you what, as a God-fearing American, it drives me crazy. But I'll tell you what, I got part of the answer. It's right here. I'm going to start spending more time with the prince and stop worrying about the sergeants. Amen? Because it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about our nation or another nation. It is about God. He is the faithful witness, the first begotten from the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth. But he loved us. He washed us from our sins in his own blood and he's made us kings and priests. That's why we should glorify him. To him be glory. When's the last time you just thank God for being so great? Spend some time. Go home tonight. Glorify God because of who he is. And don't you want him to be in charge of your life tomorrow? Uh, that's what dominion is. We need to cede the dominion of our heart to the Lord on a daily basis. Amen? How many of you would like Jesus to be in charge in Washington, D.C.? Oh, how about you pray about that? Do you not think, and history is full of stories of George Washington while he was struggling at Valley Forge and wandering through the wilderness trying to figure out a way to lead that rab-scrabble army to victory over the most powerful army in the face of the earth. Don't you think he submitted his dominion to the prince of the kings of the earth? History is full of stories that he did, of people who walked by his room not even knowing who he was and heard him pray. Not for five minutes either. Asking God to give them victory that they could be free. To him be glory and dominion. Ask God to be in charge. As an American, we have a say in what goes on. 
let's pray. Let's cede the dominion of this nation to the Lord Jesus Christ because it belongs to him. Amen? You'll notice I did not say secede. They tried that during the Civil War. It doesn't work. Let's cede, give the dominion that belongs to us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that'll make a difference. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Have you ever tried to look up the word forever in your Bible? It's not there. It's for ever and ever. For is pointing the direction the word ever just simply means without end. Ever and ever is a statement. The word forever is not in your Bible. It is two completely separate words. For ever. That's how long the glory belongs to him and the dominion. And we're told to give that to him. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And Lord, as we've talked about these things tonight and looked in your word, Lord, I, I have been convicted of how feeble my attempts to do this are. And Lord, I ask that you would help us as a church. I pray for your help as a pastor. Lord, I believe I can speak for nearly every individual in this auditorium tonight that we want to know you better. That we want to understand a little more of your greatness. And Lord, we know that if you were to pull back the veil that covers your greatness, we would immediately be vaporized completely by your holiness. But Lord, would you allow us, teach us, let us walk in your truth and be your disciples indeed, that we may know the truth and be free. Free from the bondage of men's ideas and thought processes. Free from our own heart's desires. Free indeed that we may be the priest and the kings unto him that loved us and washed us from our own sins with his blood. Lord, touch our hearts that we may give you the glory and dominion you deserve now, today, and as long as you give us life. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's just keep our heads bowed. We'll have the hymn of invitation. If you need to slip out and spend a little time in prayer, now's the time to do so.